Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our study on the Holy Spirit. And our final topic on the Holy Spirit is His gifts. Uh, we've learned thus far in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God does not want us to be ignorant about the work of the Spirit in the life of the church. That's how the chapter begins. Now concerning spiritual things, the things of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit in the church, I don't want you to be ignorant. God wants us to understand the Holy Spirit's gifts, wants us to understand how to use them. And while each member of the Godhead gives us gifts, the ones from the Holy Spirit are unique in that they have a unique purpose. They are not gifts that we can call on at will, nor are they for our personal enjoyment. The Holy Spirit gives them to who He wants, when He wants, and why He wants, and their goal is to be a blessing to others. And we have looked at the first four of these supernatural gifts last week. We're going to tackle the last five this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll pick it up in verse 8. We'll start in verse 8, but our study will begin in verse 10. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That gift is when a person is given supernatural insight into what to do in a specific situation that seems to have no answer or conflicting answers. To another is given the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. The word of knowledge is when a person is given information they could not naturally know in order to speak into another person's life. Then in verse 9, it says, to another faith by the same Spirit. This is when a person is given the supernatural ability to trust God for something right now in defiance of all the facts. Then the next, it says, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. This is the supernatural impartation of the ability to heal a person or be healed. And then we come now to verse 10, to gift number five, where we'll pick it up today, to another, the working of miracles. Again, it's another of a similar kind in a similar situation. When the Holy Spirit deems it's necessary and He wills, this is what He wants to do, then He will give this gift of the working of miracles. Working of miracles means a deed or an act which reveals great supernatural power. This is also plural, so just like the healing miracles are diverse in its use from person to person and situation to situation, the gift of miracles, it doesn't occur the same way every time. You know, God's going to do it, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to do it how He wants, when He wants, who He wants, why He wants. So this is the supernatural ability, impartation of the ability to do something a person could not naturally do. I have personally probably not experienced this gift in, a, in an active way. I've seen God do lots of miracles in my life, but I've not like been like the person that God gave this gift to and I prayed and like, you know, a car flew or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about, but you get the idea of something miraculous, you know, something totally clearly supernatural where I said, this is going to happen and it happened. I've, I've not ever experienced that. I know, uh, I remember my, my very first pastor when he was traveling to China, he was bringing Bibles to China, and they don't want Bibles in China, of course, and so they frequently look for these things. He wasn't hiding them. He had them in a suitcase, but as he was going through customs, the, the soldiers pulled him aside, and he's like, oh, here it is. I'm going to get in trouble. You know, they're going to take all the Bibles. Lord, please don't let him take all the Bibles. And, and he just really sensed the Lord was saying, I'm going to take care of this. And lo and behold, this other soldier walked up and said, leave him alone. He's with me. Walked him outside, and then he was gone. And that's the type of thing like that, just the miraculous type of event where clearly something supernatural just happened, whether it was an angel or something else, it was a miracle. I've not had something like that happen to me. But we do have examples of that in the Scripture. I mean, Acts chapter 19, we have one example of them. Acts 19, verses 11 and 12, clearly a miracle here, tells us it was miracles. 
And God wrought, Acts 19.11, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Like if I start passing out like my old used deodorant sticks, that's not probably going to do anything for anybody. Or like a, a sweatband I used, or if, you know, I was, I was barbecuing, I had an apron on, and I, you know, and somebody said, hey, can I have that? And I'm like, uh, sure. And they take it and they bring it to their sick, you know, spouse, or whatever, and be like, I got this from Pastor Will. It's going to heal you. Boom. That's probably not going to happen because there's nothing magical about the handkerchiefs or the aprons that Paul was using when he was working. It's just that God chose to work in this way to heal people or to set them free from demonic influence. That's how the gift of miracles works. These are acts or deeds where something supernatural happens. You cannot explain it naturally. When Moses parted the Red Sea, that was miraculous, all right? It was not a wind that blew at just the right time at just the right depth of water. It was a miracle that God did. We see another one in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. In Acts chapter 13, verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, fixed his eyes on this guy. Now, who is this guy? If you read earlier, you find out that they had gone to a place that had never heard the gospel before. And they were preaching to the guy who was the, the deputy in charge of that region, the Roman, I think it was proconsul, who was in charge of the region. And there he had this advisor who was involved in the occult. He was Elimus the sorcerer. And this guy, Elimus, is trying to dissuade this guy from listening to Paul and hearing the gospel. And so in the middle of Paul trying to share the gospel with this guy, the Lord's like, this guy's in the way. This is how I want you to deal with him. And Paul's like, all right. And so Paul fixes his eyes on him and he says, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, deception and mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? First, he asks him a question, gives him one last chance to repent. Will you not stop? And of course he doesn't. So now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then the deputy, when he saw it was done, believed, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Pretty crazy event. I wish I had access to this miracle on many occasions, right? Just go walk into Congress. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Seriously, no, on many occasions, you know, I've, I've wished to have this thing because you're like, this person's in the way. But for whatever reason, the Lord wanted to reach this guy to the point where he knew he was, he was wanting to receive and this other person was going to be an obstacle to that happening. And so the Lord said, Paul, I need you to remove the obstacle and I'm going to equip you to do it. And he blinds the guy. I, I can't do that. You know, there have been numerous occasions where I wanted to get through to somebody and I couldn't, and it would have been nice to be able to do something that would remove them from the situation so I could talk to the other individual. But the Lord saw fit to do this here so he could reach this guy. Miracle, absolute miracle. I mean, don't go walking around saying this unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit to do it because, you know, this was the Lord working here. Things like this are not things we can normally say. Sometimes I see what people, they justify certain behavior like, well, Jesus did this. I'm like, first off, Jesus did that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you? Because you're looking pretty carnal right now. So, so that's the idea is that when he gives us a supernatural impartation of an ability to do something you could not naturally do. And this is something Paul didn't affect. It's not like Paul had this gift on whim. 
I mean, if that was the case, why was he constantly getting in trouble? Why did he get stoned? And be like, Paul, like, why didn't you use this gift? Oh, I forgot. You know, no, he just, this was this moment when God wanted to do this. So these are two examples that we have of definitely supernatural things going on. There's nothing holy about aprons used by pastors or missionaries or whatever, but God wanted to do that then. We don't have the ability to blind whoever we want, but in this case, God needed to reach this guy, and that was the only way it was going to happen. Well, next in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have, it says, well, it says to another prophecy, but I'm going to skip prophecy for now because I want to lump that with tongues and interpretation of tongues because the Bible actually lumps them together in a different spot. So I'm going to skip that for a second. It says to another discerning of spirits after that. Again, another of a similar kind in a similar situation when the Holy Spirit deems it's a need and it's His will and, and He chooses who He wants, how He wants, when He wants. Now, discerning of spirits, the word discerning, it means the ability to evaluate or judge between two things. So you've got two options and it's the ability to evaluate between those two options. In this case, it says two spirits. So what spirits are we evaluating or judging between? Well, 1 John chapter 4 gives us the answer to that. It tells us there are two spirits that we're to evaluate as Christians. We're commanded to do this. Now, we covered this text in our study of 1 John in detail, so I'm not going to go into it in detail today. Uh, If you want to learn more about that, get get the teaching on 1 John because we just covered that before we started our Holy Spirit series. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they're from God, because why? Many false prophets are gone into the world. In other words, there are those who claim to be God's messengers, and you need to test the source of every message from someone who claims that. We don't listen to someone just because they say, well, the Lord gave me a message for you, or the Lord gave me a message to the church. We don't just listen when they claim that. We have to test every person who makes that claim because many false prophets are gone into the world. And we're testing the spirit behind it. What's the origin of their message? Verse 2, hereby do you know the spirit of God. This is how you know the spirit of God's the origin. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's not just a verbal thing. Again, get the teaching on 1 John 4 to understand what that's talking about. But the concept here is it's what the content of what they're saying and the character of their conduct. Does it match with Jesus, who Jesus is? Everyone who's who, what they say and uh, their character, if it's lining up with Christ, then you can know that's the Holy Spirit. Vice, in, in contrast, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, wherever you have heard that it should come, and even now already is, it is in the world. You are of God, little children, and you've overcome them, the false prophets, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in us? The Holy Spirit. They are of the world, the false prophets, therefore they speak about the world, and the world listens to them. But we're of God, and he that knows God listens to us, the scriptures, the apostles. He that is not of God does not listen to us. So hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit, spirit of Antichrist, spirit of truth, spirit of error, same thing, same concept. So the two things that we're evaluating between is, is the origin the spirit of God, or is the origin the enemy, the spirit of error? We do that regularly by looking at the the content of what they say and by observing their character. But this gift goes beyond that. This gift is a supernatural impartation to know when the spirit of error is at work when it's not clear from their statements or their character. There are times when you're listening and what the guy's saying is right, 
and you don't have any clear indication that his character doesn't match up with Christ, but the Holy Spirit tells you, this is not good. Don't listen to this guy. And that can be difficult at times because you go, well, why? Like, can you explain why? I mean, this sounds good, and he seems like a, a godly guy, and he's going, I know everything, you don't. I remember, I think it was my wife and, and her sister, they were at church with their dad at a service one time, and, and, and the pastor got up to speak, and, and they just, and, and, and during worship, uh, the worship team was up there, and they just got this weird vibe between the, the pastor and, and one of the ladies in the worship team, and they just thought, something's not right. Something's not right there. Now, nothing he said was bad. There was no evidence of any poor character, but it was just a little bit later that it turned out he had an affair with that woman. So the Lord was protecting them, saying, don't go here. This is not good. And this is what the Lord will do at times. There's times I found myself in places, somebody invites me somewhere, you know, and I go, and, and the guy gets me to teach, and I go, sounds good, great. Seems like a good guy, and the Lord will just say, this is not good. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I've, I've just learned to trust that. Now, I don't get up and go, everybody leave, you know, this is heresy, you know. You don't know it, but he's really a heretic, or he's really a dirty, rotten sinner. I don't do that, but that's personally to protect me and whoever's with me and say, this is not the Lord. There have been times when, just being honest, there have been times when we've been in a meeting where we've allowed the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate, and someone will get up and they'll say, God put this on my heart, and it's starting off okay, and then it just, it gets into kind of funky territory, but it's not like obviously wrong, and the Lord's just saying, Will, stop this now. Stop it now. And, and, I, and so I'll, I'll speak up and I say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're going to stop this for now. I really don't sense that's, that's, that's the Lord. Uh, we're going we're gonna to worship now. And there's times when you just have to do that. The Lord's, the Lord's saying, this is not me. So that discernment, that ability to comprehend and understand that is a very important gift to protect the body of Christ from wolves who come in sheep's clothing. The, the best example I found of this is in Acts 16. In Acts 16, we have an interesting situation going on with Paul and his ministry team when they're out of the mission field. It says in Acts 16, verse 16, that it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel who was possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying, her fortune-telling. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, that sounds like really good advertising, doesn't it? Like you've got someone in the community who's respected. They believe the gods speak through her, that they can find their future from going to meet with her. She's made tons of money because she's demon-possessed off, you know, off the people there. They trust her. And now all of a sudden, you come into this brand new town. Nobody knows you, who you are. And she's out there, and she says, guys, everybody listen to this guy. Listen to these people. They are showing you the way to salvation. I know a lot of churches today be like, wow, Lord, we're building a bridge to the unbelievers. No. <laughs> he said, I don't want any not advertising that's not from God. I don't care if what they're saying is correct because that's going to confuse people. And so it says she did this many days. I mean, Paul's, him and his team are just going to prayer and all of a sudden somebody's speaking up and they're giving advertising for him and he's just grieved, the Bible says. And Paul being grieved, it bothered him. He says, this is wrong. And it, it is hard. He knew something's not right about this. And so he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of the same hour. 
So the idea was, is the Lord dealt with that confusion through this discerning of spirits. That sounds like truth, but it's actually the spirit of error that's at work here. I remember I, I was having a conversation with a guy who was talking about Jesus a ton, and I was, I was out on my walk. I, I don't walk that much anymore like I used to, but I used to walk a long ways and read my Bible, so I just had my Bible with me. And he met me on the way, and he was chit-chatting with me and talking, and I'm like, oh, it's a brother, whatever. And the Lord's like, nope. And uh, this guy's, you're talking to a demon right now, and I'm like, that's weird. But sure enough, you know, I, start, I started mentioning like certain things about the gospel and his eyes started kind of glazing over and he started getting really hostile with me. And I was like, okay, Lord, get me out of this situation. You know, this is not, not safe, you know? And uh, I remember I had a friend of mine who had a similar situation. He would go on, he'd pray, just go around his neighborhood, talk to the Lord, pray. And, and he had a neighbor of his that would come out yelling at him every time he'd go walking, just go yell at him. So he didn't know what his name was. He called him D because he said, well, there's a demon I'm talking to apparently. But, you know, he would call me up. He'd go, yeah, D came and yelled at me today. But eventually, you know, he would, he, he would pray for this guy. Lord, get rid of that demon so I can talk to whoever this guy is. And eventually this guy came out and he wasn't yelling at me anymore. And, and, you know, he got to share the gospel with him. And he asked me, he goes, you know, you come out and yell at me every day. Why didn't you come out and yell at me today? And he goes, I don't know. I woke up feeling different today. So the idea is, you know, the Lord can give you that discernment when you don't really know what's going on, but you can know it's the enemy. It's not just somebody's kind of struggling mentally. I don't believe every mental problem is demonic. I think that's incorrect. Our, we are a fallen nature. I think we're all broken in, in some kind of way to some degree. But that being said, there are times when we see in the scripture that that is the result of demonic influence, like this, this girl here uh, who is being exploited by her masters. So, all right, let's go back to prophecy. So the reason I, I, I want to do prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues together is because 1 Corinthians calls them sign gifts. Um, they're a sign. In other words, their function is to somehow be a, an attention getter by the Lord. So, we see here, it says to another prophecy. It just comes out and says it. So what is prophecy? Well, the word prophecy means to speak forth the mind and the counsel of God. And in the scriptures, we see two kinds of prophecy. We see predictive prophecy, the idea of someone predicting, prophesying what's going to happen in the future. And then we see instructive prophecy. And I would say the majority of, of the Bible is instructive prophecy, where like I was reading, I'm in Isaiah in my devotions right now, and you know, God gave a message for Isaiah to preach to the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. And he gave an instructive thing. There were a few prophetic elements, but primarily it was live differently. You know, <laughs> you're living like this, live differently. It was instructive. So the gift of prophecy then is when a person is given the supernatural impartation to speak the mind and the counsel of God into someone's life. So now it's not just generically, but it's to a specific situation, which was really cool here. It means technically anytime you're reading your Bible, you're being prophesied to. Isn't that awesome? This is one of the reasons that Paul says that, that prophecy is a thing you want more than anything else. Because, I mean, this is, this is where we get our meat from. This is where we get the majority of our supernatural input from the Lord is that he, he speaks things into our lives, you know, his, his mind and his counsel from his word. Now, what is an example of predictive? Some would say, well, that, that doesn't happen anymore. There's a problem with that because we see it in the book of Acts. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's not just a Jesus thing. We see it in the book of Acts that there are times when God will give a message or his mind to somebody to share with the church about something future that will happen or to share with an individual something future that will happen for the benefit of others. And that was the case here in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. 
Now, there's no office of prophet today. There's no function of someone says, well, I'm a, I'm a prophet, and, and therefore I supersede pastors and Bible teachers. No, the primacy right now in the church is given to the, the teaching of the Word of God. That is our, our primary office in the function of the church is the teaching ministries. But there are still the, there's still the gift of prophecy. In that days, though, there were prophets from Jerusalem. They came unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and he signified by the Spirit tells us. It was a gift of the Holy Spirit. He signified by the Spirit that there should be a great famine throughout all the world, and it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So the idea was, is there's a famine coming, get prepared. When I was at my bachelor party as a young man, we had a bunch of guys that were there that night, my close friends, all believers, and as the night was coming to an end and the party was going to end, they laid hands on me and prayed for me, or, or we held hands, something. We just, we prayed together. And a lot of the prayers are just, God bless his marriage, help him be a good husband, all that kind of stuff. They knew we were starting a, a church plant in two weeks, we we're going to start a home Bible study. And, uh, and some prayers were that way. But then one guy says, you know, and Lord, I'm just really sensing right now that you're calling Will and Bev to minister to young families, families with, with kids. And so please anoint him and equip him for that task. Well, that was something that God had put on me and Bev's heart. That our heart was not necessarily, we didn't want to reach older people, but that our heart was, so... Let me give you a little insight. I would always rather do preventative maintenance than have to fix things after they're broken, right? So my heart was, Lord, give us people that are fresh slates. It's not that I didn't want to minister to hurting people, but I was a young man myself. I was 21 years old at the time. It was like a month removed from being 22. And I said, Lord, I I don't know how much someone who's older, who's made mistakes, is going to listen to little old me, who's just been married for two days. So... I said, Lord, that was on our heart that we would minister to young couples and build a foundation that they would be strong. And and then through that, we would have a a strong team that then would be able to reach everybody. And so he he prayed this, not knowing any of this. And in 17 years of ministry, it's not that we didn't have any older folks, but the majority of that church was was a, a young families with kids. And it was a beautiful opportunity to build into blank slates. Funny story, I can tell you when, when I was coming here for my, my Sunday to be introduced as a new pastor here. That week, I, I don't know if I had a phone conversation Pastor Gibb or we had lunch. I think we had lunch. And, uh, and I said, Gibb, I said, we have a lot of kids. I said, and, and you've told me, he said, yeah, we got a lot of older people. And I said, we, we, got a lot of, we got a lot of kids. And he goes, yeah, we got a lot of older, mature people. They know how to serve. They know how to serve. And I said, that's great. So our younger folks, they need to learn to serve a little better. I said, but we got a lot of kids. Are you ready for all the kids we're bringing? He goes, no and it'll be wonderful. <laughs> you know, and, and it was that, that idea, it was, that was fulfilled. We did, we fulfilled the calling that God gave to us. And so it was confirmed through this, this gift of prophecy on that, on my, the night of my bachelor party. So that's kind of how this gift works. You know, the idea that it can be predictive. Now, when prophecy is predictive, it's never going to be out of the blue, all right? If, if, if you are praying and God is leading you that you're going to go and you're going to start a Bible study at work, Someone, and, and you're praying about that, God's not going to send someone to you that's going to say to you, brother, sister, you've been called to the, go to the jungles of Africa. Be like, well, I was praying about doing a Bible study at work. That's very different. Prophecy is not going to be directive like that. It's going to be confirming, you know? It's going to come alongside what God is already speaking in your heart. So it could be, hey, God's not calling you to do that Bible study. Go keep seeking the Lord but it's going to be confirming in some way. So this is the idea of how the gift of prophecy works in a predictive way. Now we have an example in the book of Acts also of instructive prophecy. Remember on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that sermon 
And then it says that the men who were listening is some of the people who voted for Jesus' execution. It says they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And then Peter, uh, Peter explained to them. So that's an example of instructive. My hope is, is that every time we gather that the gift of prophecy is in operation. I hope that in some way, shape, or form that the gift of prophecy is working when I or someone else is teaching here on a Sunday or in our Bible studies, because if it's not, then we need to change things. Because the Bible says that prophecy is the preeminent gift that we should be seeking. And this is not a new idea. Way back in Numbers chapter 11, when Moses was overwhelmed, he said, God, these people are too much. I can't do it anymore. The Lord's like, all right, I'm going to take part of the anointing I put upon you, my spirit, and I'm going to put it on a bunch of other guys. And so all of a sudden, God put his anointing on these other guys, and they began to instruct and minister to the congregation, to the, all the people of Israel. Well, then we have this moment where Joshua, there's two guys, after the initial kind of outpouring of God's Spirit, these two guys just continue going through the camp, teaching, prophesying. And Joshua starts getting jealous because people are paying attention to them. And he comes to Moses and he's like, Moses, these two guys are out there and they're still prophesying. You know, this is, this is too far, you know, too much. And Moses, I love his words. He says this, Moses said unto him, are you jealous for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. So, I mean, this idea of the primacy of, of prophecy is not a new concept. Paul echoes Moses' words in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 5, when he says this. He says, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. I, I would rather that everybody prophesied. That would be better. So, next to the Holy Spirit's love that he fills us with, that we give to one another, this is the preeminent gift that the Holy Spirit gives. And why is that? Because of what results when prophecy occurs. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says, But he that prophesies speaks unto men three things, to edification, to exhortation, and to comfort. When the gift of prophecy is in operation, people are, they are, they are edified, which means they are strengthened in their faith. They're built up in their faith. If you leave here on a Sunday and you go, I, I just want to trust the Lord more. I want to follow the Lord more. I want to obey Him. I want to serve Him. I want to know Him. The gift of prophecy was in operation. Praise the Lord. The second thing it mentions is for exhortation. If you came here, you know, on a Sunday and the Lord spoke to you and said, it's time to move. It's time to go. You kind of got that kick in the pants and enough waiting's enough. It's time to take that step of faith and to do what I'm telling you to do. That's the gift of prophecy. And then, of course, comfort. If you have come to a Bible study or teaching and, and, and you were down, you were struggling, and the Lord's, you know, just through the word that was being spoken that he comforted you, he came alongside you, and you left going, I know the Lord's with me, I know I'm going to be okay. You know, your spirit was raised and strengthened and, and you were able to move forward. That's the gift of prophecy. We need that, right? <laughs> like we need that desperately, which is why uh, it is the preeminent gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us. I remember... I don't know if I've told this full story to all of you. Some of you have heard it, but I remember when Pastor Gibb announced that he was retiring and uh, caught me unawares. I was good friends with him. I didn't expect that to be the case. And so um, as a family, we got around and we prayed because it really touched my heart. I got home from church that day and, and I don't know if Bev, you, text, you told me, said Gibb announced he's retiring. And I was like, what? Or my mom, dad, I don't remember who it was. Somebody told me. And, and so I went online, I listened to the, the recording because they had it online. And so I said, guys, let's pray. I said, because 
it's going to be hard to follow up Pastor Gibb. Let's pray for Calvary Orlando. God gives him a good pastor, and, and God you know, gives them wisdom. And I had no clue that we were praying for me. At the time, didn't know. But as we were done praying, it was all over. Everybody's family scattered, went their way. I sat down in my desk, and the Lord said, it's you. And I was like, no. I mean, that was, that was my, my answer, no. Not, oh, that's weird. The answer was just no. I didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to talk about it. I didn't say anything to anybody. And then something else happened in a conversation with Pastor Gibb when I called him just to see how he's doing. And he said something that, and I said, why did you say that? And, and, and I got off the phone. Even Joel was with me at the time. And he said, are you okay? And I said, no. And the Lord kept saying, I want to talk to you about this. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. At the time, I was working at Evans High School. I was bivocational at the other church, and I was working at Evans High School, and um, I was the kitchen manager there, and I did truck on Mondays because every person that worked for me was 65 or older. None of them could lift it, so that was me doing that in there, and I, we served about 1,600 kids for lunch every day, so I mean, that's a ton of food to put away every Monday, and so I'm in there for a good two, two and a half hours, and no one comes in there because I'm, there's boxes everywhere. There's no room, so I'm having an out loud argument in a 29 degree freezer with the Lord because he, he just was coming up heavily on me that day, convict me. I want to talk about this. And I go, no, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to move. I don't want to change. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm happy where I am. I don't want to discuss this. Well, that Wednesday, I was teaching at the rescue mission and I taught on Gideon. And Gideon was a reluctant servant of the Lord. God sent an angel to him and said, hey, you're going to be the one who delivers God's people. And he's like, ah, that's crazy. How about we do some tests? And then even by the end of the test, he's pretty much just like, I don't want to go. So I teach this message and I get in the car and the Lord's like, hey, uh, we should talk about Gideon because it has some application to you. And I just said, no, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. And so I turn on the radio to kind of drown the thoughts out. And it was Z, and Z could be a little repetitive at times, and it was my least favorite song. And I was like, no. And I flip over to the Bible teaching station, TLN, and guess who's teaching? Alistair Bag on Gideon. <laughs> I didn't get two blocks down the road. I had to pull over, and I said, fine. You know, some guy who lives, I think he's, he preaches in Ohio or something, somewhere up there, way up north, doesn't know me from Adam, but God had used his gift of prophecy as he taught to speak right to my life, to exhortation, to say, Will, it, it's, it's enough hemming and hawing. It's time to move. And it was in that place where finally I, I brought up all my objections and all my problems, and God answered them all. He, he spoke to all of them, and then I was able to spend the next couple of days fasting and praying and finally seeking the Lord about this. The gift of prophecy, we need it. It's important. Now, Again, there are also principles to operate, how this operates, uh, so that we can know if it's really God speaking into our lives or just someone's words, good or bad. Someone could say something, it's just them. could be good or bad. But we're going to get into that next week when we look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But suffice it to say, when the gift of prophecy is in operation, like if you get up and you're like, oh, I've got, I've got a prophecy, Pastor Oh, I'm going to say, sit down because he doesn't interrupt himself. He's not confused. So the idea is we're giving primacy to the teaching right now of God's word. But my guess would be is that some of the conversations you have today, the gift of prophecy will be in operation as well as the Holy Spirit deems fit.
Next, we have tongues and interpretation of tongues, and I put them together because they work together in this way. Kinds means all sorts or all varieties. So it could be a known language, uh, known human language. It could be a, a defunct human language, or it could be, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the tongues of men or angels. It could be a heavenly language. So either way, it's all sorts, all varieties um, of tongues. And tongues just means an utterance that has the form of language. So a gift that gives you some kind of a variety of an utterance that has the form of language and the interpretation of that utterance that has the form of language is the second gift. Now, note something important. Interpretation is not translation. In fact, there's another word in the New Testament for translation, and Paul does not pick that here. I bring this up because there are times, I bring all these things up because there's times I hear people say, well, it needs to be a known language, a human language. The Bible doesn't say that. Nowhere does the Bible say that. So we're not going to teach it if the Bible doesn't say that. I've heard people say it's the ability to learn languages really well for missionary work. That is not what the Bible says here either. Interpretation, I've heard people say, well, this guy got up and he spoke in tongues and it was like for 17 words. And then the interpretation was like 74 words. That can't be the Lord. It's not translation. It's interpretation. Interpretation is explanation of what was said in the unknown language. So it may not match time-wise. It may not match word-wise because it's not translation, it's explanation. So the gift of tongues is when a person is given the supernatural ability to pray or praise God. I'll explain why it's that. To pray or praise God with the cry of their heart unfettered by the bonds of their known language. It is a supernatural impartation to pray or praise God with the cry of your heart unfettered by the bonds of your known languages. Interpretation, then, is when a person is given the supernatural impartation to explain, not translate, but explain what was in that person's heart so all of us can either pray or pray to God or praise God with them. Does that make sense? All right. Now, we have numerous examples of tongues being used in the Scripture. What's interesting is we only have one example of what was actually being said. And even then, we don't have the details of what being, was being said. We just have the explanation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says that they were praising God for his wonderful works. So on Pentecost, when they spoke with tongues, and it says that all the Jews gathered there heard the apostles praising God for his wonderful works in their own language. That's what they heard. There was no message in tongues from God. They were hearing these guys praise the Lord in a language they did not naturally know, but a language that did exist in this case. So that's the example, only example we have of what someone said when they were speaking in tongues in the Bible. We have not a single example in the Bible of the gift of interpretation of tongues, not one, which is interesting to me. Tongues, unfortunately, is probably the most abused gift that we see in some churches that are very open to it, uh, because, like at my old church, you know, people, would, the pianist would just start kind of doing the, you know, and then and people just start kind of speaking in tongues with it, and and everybody's doing it at once, and you know, Paul says, don't do that, because if you get an unbeliever who comes in, they're going to think you're crazy. So, that's not the proper use of tongues. Everybody just shouting in tongues. That's not a biblical use of tongues. It says that a few people do it one at a time, and then someone interprets, and then you're done. That's it. 
So I think it is interesting we don't have any example of this because it means that it probably wasn't happening over the top all the time in the church. I'm not saying it can't happen frequently. That's not my point. But my point is I do think it's interesting. So we need to recognize that and, and not get weird, you know, and not get unbiblical with this gift. So we do have special instructions for the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, just like prophecy, but that's why we're going to spend a whole Sunday next Sunday covering that because there's too much to cover today along with that. But I do, I do want to bring up one other thing that, that Paul talks about, though. And maybe you've heard some people say this. Well, I have, like, I have a personal prayer language where I pray in tongues in my own personal devotion time. So what is that? Is it possible that we can have tongues without interpretation? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 28, Paul does indicate that tongues has a private and a public use. In 1 Corinthians 14, 28, he says that if you're all gathered together and someone speaks in an unknown tongue or a few people speak in an unknown tongue and there's no interpreter, he says, well, then let those who spoke with tongues keep silence in the church and let them speak to themselves and to God. In other words, it's not that what you said was not the Lord. It's just not for everybody else. It's just for you. So there is this idea where the one gift that, that we can use that does have benefit to ourselves that can be used privately is the gift of tongues. Paul makes it clear there's a public use and a private use. Now, why would this gift out of all the nine be the only one that has a private use? I'd love to lay hands on myself and heal myself, right? It's so like, like why, why does this gift out of all the nine is the only one that, that has a private use? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever struggled with how to pray for somebody? Oh, there are numerous times. Like I have somebody come through the line. I barely know them. And like, Pastor, we'll pray, pray that I get this new job. And I'm like, I don't know if this job's good for you. Maybe this job will, you'll be a worse dad if you get this job or a worse husband if you get this job or, you know, worse mom. I, I don't know. So it's like, I go pray and I'm like, Lord, how do I pray? Well, we'll talk about it in a second, but there's a way you can pray in the will of God, even when you don't know where the will of God is. Have you ever struggled to pour out your heart in praise to Jesus because words don't seem to do justice to what you're thinking and feeling? I remember one time I was in the car and I was so overwhelmed with God's grace and his faithfulness and his kindness and his mercy to me, why he would even work in my life. I was just so blown away. I mean, it was, it was almost like a euphoric kind of feeling. And, I, and so I'm like, Lord, you're so good. And those words felt so lame in that moment. Like, you know, you're so good. Ice cream's good. You know, it just, I, I was so aware that these words were just not cutting it. So I, again, I turned on the radio, I turned on the, the worship CD I had on, and even that felt like it was falling short. I'm like, ah, I'm like, I need better words. And so I just started to praise the Lord in tongues, and, and my heart was unfettered by known language. I just was able just to, my heart was able to find release with words I didn't understand, but my heart was able to communicate directly with the Lord. And the Spirit of God was able to take the words that my, you know, the, the, what my heart was feeling and, and translate it to what I was really trying to say to the Lord with words I couldn't figure out. And so that's another way that it can help us. So publicly, the gift of tongues needs an interpretation, but privately, it does not. Now, private tongues, as I mentioned earlier, it can help us in prayer. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. I've heard all sorts of weird explanations for this verse, but man, it's, it's not complex. It's really clear. Talking about, you know, the, our, our, this, this body is weak, this, this tent is, is wearing out. And, and 
Paul explains in verse 26 that in the same way we're longing for our new bodies because of the weaknesses of this body. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. He helps us with so many other things, but He helps us in our weaknesses too. For what's one of our weaknesses? We don't know what we should pray for as we should. Time, we don't know how, what we should be praying for. But here's the cool part. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That phrase cannot be uttered literally means with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Again, this is not complex. Groanings that can't be expressed with words. And so he that searches the hearts, the, the Father above knows what the mind of the Spirit is when we pray like that because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when we're praying in an unknown tongue, a language we don't understand, whether it's a heavenly one, earthly one, defunct one, whatever, um, when we're doing that, the Spirit of God takes what our hearts are praying and he converts it to the will of God in a way that the Father understands because they're God, so they can do that. So this is a wonderful aid in our prayer time. I love what uh, Kittle says, the, the great uh, New Testament scholar. He says, the Spirit sighs in His intercession for us, which cannot be expressed or grasped in human words, but God understands. Great explanation. Again, private tongues can help us in our praise. In 1 Corinthians 14, 15, it says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding. I'll pray in words I don't understand. I'll pray in words I do understand. I will sing with the Spirit. Sing in words I don't understand. I'll sing with the understanding also. Sing with words I do understand. In other words, there's a time for each. And so there is an aid, therefore, to help us praise the Lord in our private worship time. This personal benefit is why Paul wished that every Christian had the gift of tongues. Because, I mean, it helps. It helps. In fact, it says in verse 4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. And yet we've seen already that the Spirit of God gives these gifts to edify others. So this is the one gift that you can use for personal benefit. Now, you say, okay, so does every Christian have the gift of tongues or can every Christian have the gift of tongues? No. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30, have all gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. And I, I'm, I'm saying no because in Greek, when you write a rhetorical question, there's a little symbol you could put before the sentence that says the, what the answer is, yes or no. And the answer in this one is no. Do all have any of these gifts? The answer is no. No, all will not speak with tongues. Why? If this is beneficial, why wouldn't God give that to somebody? I don't know. Why does God not heal sometimes when we pray for people? Why doesn't God do a miracle when I ask Him to do a miracle? Why does not God give a word of wisdom when we're in a, a situation? Why does He want us to wait and just keep seeking Him sometimes? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. He is. And He gives it as He wants, when He wants, to who He wants, why He wants. So He's the Lord, not us. Now, based on the fact, though, that Paul wished every Christian spoke in tongues, I think it would be a good idea for every Christian to ask the Holy Spirit for this gift. Because the worst thing that God can say is no. Sometimes some of you might be thinking the worst thing that could happen is God would say yes. <laughs> to which I would say, there's nothing to be afraid of in any gift that the Holy Spirit gives because God is love. God is not weird. God is love. I am a show me person. I am very much not the person that buys into anything. So, I'm not doing this because my nature is to kind of be a little on the emotional side and, you know, I like the supernatural. That's not me at all. 
Like, I'm the type of person that someone says, this happened, I'm like, prove it, you know? But I remember when a Lutheran minister came to our church teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the gift of tongues, I thought, well, that's a weird combination. Maybe I should listen up. And when the Lord gave me the gift of tongues, it has been a tremendous aid in my prayer life and in my personal, my personal prayer life, my personal private praise times. Um, and I've seen the evidence of it, and therefore, there's nothing to question. So my encouragement to you would be this, is just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Now, one question does remain. How, do, how does this all work when we gather together? I mean, it makes sense like in a one-on-one situation or a small group, but like, how does it work when we get together? And what is the proper attitude that we should have toward the gifts when we gather? Well, the rest of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 gives us those answers, so we're going to do a brief overview of that next Sunday, and that will close out our study on the Holy Spirit. Not because I think we need to change anything we're currently doing, but just so we can all understand how they're supposed to operate. You know, sometimes when you talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a serious setting, you know, people are nervous or they don't like, well, how, how does this work? I remember being in that situation myself as a young believer. And, and it was blessed to be able to be in churches that did what the Bible said here, and I was able to see these things used correctly, biblically, and go, that's how it works, to the blessing of the church. And so we'll talk about that next week. But as the worship team comes out and, and we prepare to close this uh, morning, I would ask you, where, where is your heart toward the gifts of the Spirit? Where is your mind toward the gifts of the Spirit? Do you see their importance, or is this something you say, this is kind of a part of the church I don't want to be a part of? And then are you confident in God's love for you and that His gifts are good for you? Because they are. I can't tell you how many times, just in my own family situations, where I've said, God, I need a supernatural solution by your Spirit. I need the right word to say to my, my family or, you know, my friends. I, I need this, Lord, because this situation is desperate. We should not be those who lean on our own understanding. We should be those who look to the Lord. Are you willing to ask God to use you in these ways if he so chooses? Because sometimes we need these things. A lot of times we need these things. So let's all stand. Lord, we thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful that you, Lord, reveal yourself in the life of the church, that you move in a way that is clearly you and gives all glory to Jesus and meets our needs and edifies everyone. That's our desire whenever we gather, Lord. And for anyone here this morning who maybe they've been uh, exposed to different ideas about this, and, and, and Lord, I pray your word would be the thing that remains with all of us, that we would understand what these gifts are, how they're to be used, and then, Lord, just willing to receive whatever you have for us, whatever that might be. In Jesus' name, amen.